0: Hi, everybody. Welcome to episode number 17 of the Fitness Devil Podcast. Today, we had Dean Somerset back. He's a first returning guest, doesn't need much of an introduction. So we talked about his new transition to a new working environment. He works under the Evolve umbrella, uh, same uh, corporation that uh, I contract out of. And we talk about uh, new trainers working in commercial facilities and how that could be really beneficial we get into the L2 fitness summit that Dean and Dr. Mike Gizrichel did last September. That product is now available on video, so you guys can actually buy that. So go to his website and just wander into a bunch of other stuff about what Dean was like when he first started as a trainer and how much he's uh, evolved over the years. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, check this one out. And we would really love it if you guys could get us some five-star reviews. Uh, write us a little note on iTunes. That helps us a ton. Thanks and enjoy.
1: Shut up.
2: And sit down.
0: All right, guys, welcome back to our podcast. Uh, today we've got Dean Somerset sitting with us, so he's our first return guest ever. So we're glad to
1: have you back. We're going to skip the long intro. We're going to just jump right into it. He's been it. in spirit every episode, though. Pretty much. That's kind of like the running joke. It's like, every, how many times can I be mentioned in your <laughs> podcast?
2: Man, we just want people in Edmonton to know you are. <laughs> yeah. so we told you that. Yeah, we're going to make you famous.
1: So in Edmonton.
0: we're going to get right to it because you know anyone who is listening to this one, hopefully they heard uh, Dean's episode was the first one that we ever released. So you should know a lot about the guy. Uh, but we've recently seen a rather significant change in your work environment. After a decade of working in a commercial facility, you're now going to be independent. What can you tell us about this transition and what it means for your business and your clientele?
1: Yeah, I spent uh, 13 years working in a commercial facility and it was a great experience. I was able to get a lot of uh, career advancement and do unique things that not too many other people would be able to say they were able to do. And uh, I was treated really well and had a lot of opportunities put in front of me. And But at a certain point in time, you're able to say, well... The limits of professional and personal growth are kind of hit and you're in a ceiling, so it's time to do something different. So now I'm going to be moving on and independently training clients out of Evolve Strength downtown in Edmonton and looking forward to some new opportunities.
0: Yeah.
1: And for
0: anyone who's been paying attention to this stuff, I'm at Evolve South and Evolve downtown is quite literally going to open up in the middle of January in 2018. So we're pretty yeah. much on the doorstep of having that happen.
1: Yeah, a couple of weeks away. I mean, it's the uh, end of December right now. So we're looking at probably just a couple of weeks from now. And the only reason why it's not opening sooner is just because the, the one guy who's in charge of commercial permits in Edmonton is on vacation for two weeks. So that apparently grinds <laughs> all commercial permits in the cities to a halt while that guy's on vacation because no contingency plan. Bureaucracy. That's great. So they lose out of two weeks of revenue that the city could be earning.
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's great. What does moving to like a place like Evolve? So for anyone who doesn't know Evolve, it's, it's huge. It's going to have platforms among platforms and racks and huge turf area. So what does that mean for your type of training going into a facility like that? Just because it's vastly different from a commercial setting.
1: Yeah, I mean, obviously, the the clientele are going to be somewhat different. I mean, obviously, you're still going to have people who are humans who work out there. And uh, (laughs) then you're also going to have some subhuman species that are able to lift copious amounts of weight all over the place. But uh, at the same time, it's just going to open up new potential leeways and new potential avenues for me to develop commercial interests. Like I can start training more team elements. Uh, I've already got a couple of teams who are interested in training with me just due to the fact that. Uh, the pricing structure and the requirements are considerably lower and easier to get into. So there's also specialized equipment there, which is kind of handy, handy when you're working with athletes of high caliber. So that'll make things a little bit easier and a little bit more, I guess you could say interesting as far as how I'm training clients. Um, plus there's going to have a whole bunch of in-house medical professionals too. Yeah. So physical therapy, chiropractic, massage therapy, it'll make referring back and forth considerably easier Um, I'm also going to be able to start using a designation that I've had for a while, a certified exercise physiologist, and put that onto invoices and um, letters to be able to actually get funding through that for clients, which is going to be a massive element that I can utilize too.
0: That's amazing. Mm-hmm. Now, you've probably been waitlisted for s- quite some time in terms of your clientele, but y- you now are probably in a position where if somebody's interested in working with you, you may have a
1: little bit of leeway right
0: now. So, is, is yeah. are you going to be taking on clients in the new year?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to be pretty much tra- uh, opening my doors, so to speak. So, it's not going to be something where I'm, I have a full calendar. It's going to be kind of going from one situation to another. So, I'm going to have a lot of availability But even then, it's not something that I'm really too worried about. I've already had a lot of people contact me to say, you know, as soon as you make the move, let me know. But uh, it's not something that I'm too worried about that way. It's just more a matter of, okay, well, I've got all the policies in place. I've got all the procedures in place. I've got the structure in place. I've got the infrastructure set up. Everything's ready to go for that. It's just a matter of saying, okay, well, here is day one of training and we're going to go forward from there. We're just making sure that it's available for people.
0: You're going to be waitlisted pretty quickly, so if anyone's listening to this, you actually be like, oh my god, I always want to trade with them. Uh, act now. <laughs> let's just say that much. Uh
2: okay, so let's just keep moving on. So you and Andrew, you both worked at so we'll talk about commercial facilities a little bit. Mm-hmm. You both did awesome. Well, you wrote an article just recently about the benefits of working in a commercial gym. So what would you say to new and existing trainers in terms of the value of that experience of the commercial gym and kind of just give them a little details on what they can do to kind of boost their career?
1: Honestly, I think commercial gyms are a fantastic place for any trainer to start their career and even for a lot of established client uh, trainers who are looking to learn more about how the business element of personal training and fitness industry is actually run. Um, there's a lot of benefits to it. I mean, first, you come into a network where there's actually a support structure in place where they do things like day the counting, the bookkeeping, the management element of things. They give you clients on a regular basis. You get to work with a broad segment of the population. It's a great uh, avenue for trainers to be able to build experience and get to learn what it is to actually be a trainer. Uh, obviously, there's benefits and drawbacks to any situation you go into, but it's one of those kind of things where you can make it what you want it to be If you're willing to approach it in a a very business savvy sort of way. So for me, with a lot of the stuff I was able to do, the only reason I was able to do it the way that I did was I directly related it back to the benefits of the company. So when I was saying, you know, I want to start a medical advisory board, here's why this will benefit the company. And I was able to relay it back in terms of dollars and cents rather than saying, well, I want to do this because this would be neat and the company has to pay so much money for it and there's zero concept of return on investment that doesn't really make sense in the company's eyes whereas if I'm able to say here's why we're going to be able to get new clients and new members in new dollars in all that kind of stuff that makes a massive difference if you're actually looking to do something in a commercial facility like a lot of businesses will say yeah we'll do it if it means we don't have to pay a lot and if it means it generates income
0: you also had a lot to do with building the uh, the continuing education program in that uh, Mm -hmm. facility as well so like what would you say about that to a new trainer coming in? Uh,
1: depending on the company you work for, like some have really, really well established uh, continuing education uh, divisions. Some don't. So it just depends on the company that the individual is working with. We were fortunate enough that uh, we had pretty much leeway as far as what we wanted to do for continuing education in terms of course development and design and curriculum. So uh, for something like that, for me being able to teach continuing education to an, a pack to a house pretty consistently. That helped me to establish a lot of the skills that i had where i would be able to use that for other projects down the road i mean i was talking with jen sinclair uh we did uh, tony and i did a workshop in movement in minneapolis last year and she was saying like you're really polished you're really poised and when you're speaking and that all just comes down to reps that just comes down to the experience of doing the kind of stuff where you're standing in front of a room and teaching
0: you may actually have more experience than anyone else in the industry in that regard just yeah. because of how much you take it i've taken several of your continuing education courses myself in addition Mm -hmm. to paying for ones going to flying to another country to watch you present to other people (laughs) uh you know so but i've seen a lot of this stuff in-house for free so it's pretty cool yeah uh now what does the medium and long-term future look like for you obviously you can't project everything but the best of your ability to look into that crystal ball imagine dean 20 years from now
2: 20 dogs (laughs)
0: <laughs> bunch, of comics, dogs, bunch, all of com- bunch of comics yeah. Yeah. All,
2: the, all the
1: wrestling belts you could have well we got one we're hoping to get another one soon but uh... <laughs> what? another dog or belt belt <laughs> <laughs> and maybe in the grandest only if you, of win, all. Only if you win nationals yeah. what
0: would you like to change in the industry
1: um, well in terms of short and long term stuff uh, I don't really have any specific outlines like a lot of what I thought I would be doing today five years ago is very different than what is actually happening and not to say that it's good or bad but I mean the world has a way of saying well here's the new direction you're gonna go so take that Um, in terms of five or ten years from now I hate thinking that far ahead (laughs) I want to think about the nap I'm gonna have this afternoon and then we'll see what goes from there Um, but most of the time like next couple of years I want to be able to keep expanding my online coaching business uh, keep teaching workshops release a couple of new products We'll see what they actually are and, and uh, tony and i are going to start ramping up a new workshop series we just retired complete shoulder and hip blueprint so we're thinking about doing a, a more kind of like a deeper dive into hip and shoulder so we might call it a more complete hip and shoulder blueprint that's just kind of the working <laughs> all in caps yeah <laughs> is, is this uh, gonna give us a,
0: some insight into what you guys will be presenting in kansas city in may a is little that...
1: bit we're thinking about just being three hours of memes and then just having running commentary on the memes but uh, we might... Lightsaber uh, battle? Yeah, we'll find like the plastic lightsabers at Walmart and just have an epic battle going on.
0: <laughs> a lot of the I, I keep finding out that a lot of the people that we met from the Kansas City Summit last year, they listen to this podcast. Uh, Frank, Franco Guzman uh, yep. just mentioned me. I'll throw him a shout out. He just was listening to the Mark Fisher episode and yep. he was saying how great it was on his Instagram. So we're chatting a little bit with him. So people like that will be there mm-hmm. to hopefully see you and Tony present. So give these guys a little bit of uh. Yeah, Franco's into-
1: amazing. Like the first time I met him, he said, yeah, I traveled for like 37 hours to get here. And he goes to continuing education stuff all over the world because he's really into it. So shout out to Franco for being a boss. Yeah, he's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> now, let's say,
0: uh, going back to the original question, if you could really, at a, at a very aggregate level, change something big about the industry long term, is there anything that you'd really want to have a really big mark on?
1: Um, I think that, uh, well, what I do is I try to have more of a hand in educating trainers to reach a broader audience. Um, Obviously, it's one of those kind of things where if I wanted to set up and say, okay, I'm going to market just towards general population, you could reach millions and millions of people. Whereas if I can market towards the trainers, I can reach thousands, maybe tens of thousands of people who then have an effect on millions of people based on the number of clients that they're working with. And if you can progress the level of knowledge in the industry some way, I mean, I'm not saying I know everything, but if I'm able to say, well, here's a a, a common misconception, here's what actually happens, here's ways to make it better, then that's something that can help move the industry forward in one way or another. Um, I think that a lot of trainers and a lot of fitness professionals kind of get sucked into the, the ropiness of saying, well, I want to put out content that's going to impress other trainers or impress other people in the industry. Whereas the end of the day, if you're working with clients, the people you should be speaking to are your clients. And that means that you're using language that's effective for them. You're not trying to talk over them. You're not trying to talk down to them. You're trying to make it so that it's very actionable, but stuff that they can say, oh, I understand this. I never thought about that. That's great. I want to go try and use this.
2: I was going to say, even we've, Anthony and I have talked about this, my business partner, is that it's that wanting to have the Alan Aragon, pass the Alan Aragon test. So you want to write this crazy scientific post and impress all these people. But again, that's a small portion of, who you're actually impacting. Like yeah. Again, Alan Aragon's not going to give a shit about my post, but there could be 100 people that would and, and wouldn't understand it if I put it in that yeah. tone or cues
1: or whatever, right? But even beyond that, if you make something stupid simple yeah. that relays the information that Alan has in a way that's going to reach the general population in a way that he never would put out there, that would impress him a lot more than you trying to cite 50,000 PubMed articles just due to the fact that, okay, you're, you're understanding the message and you're making it reach the masses. Some of the most successful people we're seeing down in the industry, and I'll
0: use Jordan's side as an example, mm-hmm. they are incredible at distilling down that message into something extraordinarily straightforward and yeah. simple. And it's one of the reasons why Jordan has been as successful as he is. Actually, kind of transition to a point I was going to ask is because guys like Jordan, often now they barely work with anyone. Like Jordan trains Gary Vaynerchuk and that's mm-hmm. pretty much it. And everything else is about educating other people. Will you always want to work hands on with people or can you ever see yourself getting to the point where you primarily just work with professionals who help people?
1: I think I would rather work with people. I mean, part of it is you can't really replicate an in-person relationship through a computer screen. Um, To Jordan's credit, he doesn't just work with one person. He's got his inner circle group, which means that he's working with hundreds of people all over the place. So he's working with a lot of people. But yeah, his one person that he's working with right now is a term employment. So when that's done, he's going to be doing some different stuff, whatever that is. I'm sure he'll crush it because Jordan's just an animal like that. Um, But for me, I'd always want to work with people just due to the fact that when you see somebody make changes over six months, a year, five years, 10 years, you can actually see some really cool things happening in terms of not just their body, but their confidence, their uh, understanding of what you're trying to put out and also get a better validation of what you're trying to talk about. So if I've got a client who's 60 years old, like I could use a couple of my clients as example. When they started training with me, there were 60. Now they're mid-70s. Your guy who did his birthday deadlift the other day? Yeah. Yeah, that was pretty good. Yeah, that was pretty cool, right? Yeah, yeah pulling 375 with arthritis in his hands. Not bad, right? And uh, he could have done more except the grip was slipping on one side. If we had chalk in the gym, we would have been able to do three reps and no problem. Because that sucker flew up really quick,
0: right? So this gets down to the true reason why you're transitioning is because now you're allowed to use chalk. This is what it is. That's That's the only reason. (laughs) The one sole reason,
1: but uh, (laughs) other than that. Um, But yeah, you can actually work with people and see things happening in real time versus just seeing progress pictures or updates or whatnot. You can form better relationships with people. You can actually chat with people in a personal level that doesn't feel quite as formal as through something like email or a Skype call or something like that. So I'd always want to work with people just due to the fact that it gets me out of the house. I mean, Lindsay would drive me insane and I'm sure I would drive her insane if I was home all day long. So for stuff like that, it makes it a little bit easier to, you know, have an in-person relationship with somebody just to at least have some structure to the day too. Yeah. As, uh, you know, more things are sort of Starting in my career,
0: and obviously we have this podcast, the one thing I always say to my clientele is like they're still the top priority because Mm -hmm. I always want to do that. I don't care if I'm like 70 years old in the gym and uh, and I still want to train clients if I make it that far.
1: Well, I've I've mentioned to a couple of people before that in-person training is only about a third of my actual income. Mm -hmm. So it's not something where it's going to make or break the bank if I continue to do it or expand other things, but it takes up about 60% of my time. So in terms of time involvement, yeah, it's not the best use of my time in terms of money development, but it goes beyond money development. I mean, you obviously have to have interpersonal relationships with people in order to Expand on what you're actually trying to do and actually feel like you provide value to the world
0: I think you're in the wrong business if you all you're thinking about is money. Yeah Hey, there are probably better ways to make money in the world But I hope that most of the people and again, we have a lot of trainers listening to this You guys are doing this stuff because you're passionate about it. and You actually want to help people mm-hmm. the whole idea to race to the, only the online realm and We have some great online only coaches uh, Patrick Humphries good friend. I was talking to him yesterday He's an awesome guy and he yeah. just functions only in the online realm, but he's really active with helping people anyway but there are people out there who I think that they're just racing to get online because they think, well, that's the way they can make the most money, mm-hmm. be most efficient with their time, travel tons, and that's it. Yeah. But I would never want to give up the experience of actually working with my clientele, who many of whom are actually very good friends at this point.
1: Yeah, and it, the, a big common denominator that a lot of people don't realize with uh, the people who are very successful online coaches is that they've worked with people in person for years before they even opened up anything related to online coaching. So it's not something where it's like, oh, well, I just completed my certification and now all of a sudden I'm going to open up my online website and start training people online. No, they've worked with people in person for a long time to understand what basic elements do and understand that, yeah, if I give my client 60 eccentric chin-ups, they're not going to be able to straighten their arms tomorrow. And that's not a good thing. It <laughs> might go to the hospital. Yeah. Well,
2: and I was just going to even say we go back to working with people. It's just I don't know how many discussions I get on the internet or even with friends, and I'm I'm like, okay, hey, do this, this, and this, and then I'm like, but I, it would be just great to see you because in person, it's mm-hmm. just it's just a whole different world because you can tell someone to get their chin down or their get this neutral or brace and do all this stuff. It yeah. means nothing unless the context is there. A lot of the time, it, not that you can't yeah. do it, but it's a huge. It's a huge detriment in terms of just only doing online because you do a little bit of a disservice unless they're like perfect.
1: Well, also online is very much retroactive coaching. So you're seeing a video of their workout that they already did and uploaded to you and you can't be proactive in changing what they're doing. There's also a massive benefit to tactile feedback. Yep. So if I tap a client's lat and say, make this muscle flex they'll know when it actually flexes and I'll be able to tell them when they're doing it right or not. But if I'm looking at it through a video screen, um, an iPhone that's set up at a weird angle into lighting and they're wearing dark clothes in front of the window and I can't see what's going on, I can't do anything until they do that workout the next time, which might not be a week from now. And it might be really difficult to be able to get them to you know buy into the concepts of the thought process. But all I would need to do for a tactile feedback is say, flex this. Yeah. <laughs> Or move them there. Like it's almost, yeah. I would say it's one of the most effective. Do you almost, I don't
2: want to say you shy away because you have an online business, but um, in certain situations, <laughs> would you prefer to have someone um, in person just because you don't want them to reflect poorly? I know that makes, does that make sense? Essentially, if you give them a cue and they don't get it and they're like, Dean, you're training shit, but really it's just a matter of they couldn't take the feedback because it wasn't in person. Like, have you ever dealt with that situation?
1: Not really. Because I mean, I don't really make it too much about me yeah like it's not something where i'm like oh well if you do this wrong then it's a bad reflection on me it's more like well if you do this wrong then i've got to help to explain it better as far as what you're doing i mean everyone wants to learn everyone wants to do better at stuff that's why they're there in the first place So if they're not picking something up, then either I have to change the way I'm presenting it to them, give them better cues to be able to pick stuff up or whatever I need to do to make it so that they can understand what's going on. Sometimes I might say, okay, you know what? This exercise just isn't working for you. Let's change things up and go a little bit of a different route to get the benefit that we're after without ramming your head against a wall and wondering why you need to take an aspirin. Did you notice that he took ownership of everything there? That was Dean saying that's on him
0: as opposed to saying, well, the client this or it's the client's fault. It's like he basically said, no, it's like it's something I have to do better to get Through I don't like it when I hear uh, trainers kind of shit talk their clients or how the clients aren't uh, checking in or the clients aren't doing this or doing that. And they're almost absolving themselves of blame. And you see this with coaches on their social media. (laughs) Guys, no. Like, if your client is struggling in some way, shape or form, it's really on you to do something better, different, communicate better to get through to them Mm -hmm. so you can help them. It is not, quote, their
1: fault. Yeah. I mean, part of it comes down, they have to have the responsibility to say, okay, well... I'm paying for the service for the specific uh, request that is going on i have to make sure that i buy into and i make sure that i do it but then as the coach you have to make sure that you're holding them accountable for one but then also helping them through any kind of sticking points that they're going through i mean if somebody was to come into me and say i can't make it to the gym um, because i just don't have time and i'm gonna have to cancel my membership and do and cancel all my training and all this kind of stuff okay, you're you're more than welcome to do that, but maybe I can help you to find a better use of your time so that way you can actually see the results you're looking for and get the health benefits that you're looking for from the workouts, even if it means you're not coming in to train with me all the time. Maybe it's something that you do at home for five minutes in the morning or maybe five minutes at the end of the day, or maybe we restructure your TV viewing, or maybe we find ways to shorten your commute or anything like that. I mean, that's helping people overcome obstacles and it transcends counting reps. But give
0: up Gilmore Girls, seriously?
1: Okay, well, do your cardio while you're watching, right? I'm not going to get in the way of your Rory Gilmore time here, man. (laughs)
0: Lindsay's over there on the couch just ecstatic. Apparently, that's a good reference for us. I didn't love the redo of it. See, I've never watched
1: that. Did you see the (laughs) ad? It just wasn't as good. Did you see the ad that they had for that, like the still photo? She's holding the cup, like twisting her hand backwards. I'm like, can you even drink like that? Can you set that (laughs) cup down? Who holds a coffee cup that way? There was
2: no (laughs) Jesse. Sorry, Lindsay's in the background So if you were listening to this, we just did Lindsay On, well, she released that Monday You did, Lindsay? <laughs> phrasing, Dean, Lin- <laughs> phrasing Lindsay is off the couch Hovering, hovering. Judging, judging Our Gilmore Girls Discussion Anyways, so if you hear a woman in the background It's it's just Lindsay <laughs> <laughs> Moving on
1: You turned a good shade of red Oh man <laughs>
2: She called me on Gilmore Girls, it's not yeah. cool um, I'll battle you in comics though, but not Dean. Uh, Andrew and I, so we were at the local trainers with a bunch of local trainers, at the L2 fitness event where you and Dr. Mike is retell, presented, mm-hmm. there was a film it's now available. Yes. Um, t- honestly though, tell everyone about this event and the product and the future projects and the speaking engagements that'll help educate trainers because that's kind of your thing is educating trainers a lot of the time. Tell us about what that was and why it's important.
1: Um, Well, it was the L2 Fitness Summit, which was held at L2 Fitness with Lauren and uh, Landon Porberin. I think I'm pronouncing the last name right. Yep. Um, Great new facility out in Western Edmonton, if anyone gets a chance to go check that out. Uh, They wanted to bring presenters who are kind of world class as well as me into edmonton <laughs> to try and do more education with the trainers because obviously like a lot of the stuff you have to go to involves travel for getting anywhere for education so seattle vancouver toronto kansas city new york wherever so to have people come into edmonton is obviously cheaper for everyone but it gives you a better chance to actually attend a workshop that's going to be high quality um, so i spent today talking about assessments and my thought process on whether or not some assessments are valid or invalid or what are we actually trying to do with stuff and what kind of information do we take to get a better training program designed for our clients. Mike spent an entire day talking about hypertrophy and the Pennywise run and uh, other fun stuff <laughs> we like that. Are scared of clowns? Yeah. Stand-up? Giant 240 pound massive human being who's scared of clowns. But uh, yeah, everyone's got their vices. Um, so we filmed that and put it together as a video product that's available now. Uh, we don't know if that content is going to be Taught in the future. Uh, I might include some portions of it in upcoming workshops with Tony. Um, I know that Mike has stuff that he does a lot on Renaissance periodization, but uh, this is kind of the first time that we were able to put a collaboration like that together. Um, Future L2 stuff, I know that they're going to try and set up uh, workshops where they go around specific topics. So they have one coming up in 2018 that's going to be on nutrition uh alan aragon i think is confirmed for that and so he lee a couple other people are going to be there um so that's going to be really cool to be able to check out they may do one in the future on powerlifting. they might do a couple of different theme-based workshops so really cool resource if trainers are out there looking to get it and you can get continuing education credits for it too
2: and do you so this is kind of unique in the sense that I guess a lot of trainers, especially if they're new, are going to know you for the hip and shoulder blueprint. Mm -hmm. What other stuff are you kind of planning? Like, especially because you're not just the hip and shoulders with with Tony, even though you you do a lot of
1: it. Yeah. I mean, when we pulled our audience to see, you know, what kind of stuff do you guys want to learn more about from us? uh, Some of the big stuff that came out was uh, more corrective exercise options and more programming options. So we're thinking about doing kind of a deeper dive into hip and shoulder stuff uh, where we start talking about, you know, if we have this kind of a problem, what do we actually do with that? How do we design a training program to improve certain elements of function or strength outcomes and stuff like that? And then can we do like a really big dig and break down into coaching big lifts? How do we actually work with somebody to get their deadlift stronger? Or how do we work with somebody to get a bench press that increases the numbers without increasing the risk on the shoulders? So stuff like that. Um, Beyond that, I don't have specific outlines as far as other projects in the future, but every now and then I get an idea and I'm like, all right, let's run with this one.
0: Cool. Mm-hmm. Um, what was gonna say? I was going to just mention the L2 Summit as well. That's going to be, I think in the first weekend of September uh, coming in 2018 or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's next yeah, fall. Yeah. So you guys would to want to keep your eyes open well, for that one. And, especially and this is important.
2: We, we have like listeners that obviously aren't in Edmonton, but there are a lot of trainers and fitness enthusiasts here Enthusiasts. Enthusiasts here. So again, it's just a summit that it's it's just unlike anything, just because we don't usually bring in bigger names in Edmonton. And I don't know if that's because they can't fill a room, but we were able to do it quite successfully. So just look and give us feedback because we want to bring those people here. If anything, just so we don't have to pay $2,000 to go to Toronto to see someone you want to see. And like, then that's pay the a lot Registration amount. fee on top of Right. It. And then, and then hotel. Like, it's just, it's just insane. Lot, so. A hotel's a killer, actually. Well, depend, yeah. you don't get Airbnb. Like, thank God Airbnb came out. Cause even when I went to Portland, my, instead of it being 250 a night, it was 90. So, but again, that's still an expensive trip. If you put yeah, it there for stuff. four
1: days, that's $400 pretty much. So
2: we're trying to bring people to you. But again, that helps if there's support for it. So again, just much like anything else, like kind of, I guess, Support local.
0: Yeah. <laughs> All right, so this is one I, I enjoy. Um, I've, Dean, I've always seen you as somebody who's very poised, very polished, no. very professional. Um, a lot of positive energy, a lot of peas there. You always seem to say the right thing. Um, was this always the case? And what were the early years? Lindsay's over there left to kill herself, so this should be good. She's like, "Fuck uh, no." <laughs> how were the early years of your career? You know, over a decade ago, have you grown and changed? And uh, the second part of the question is. Are there any important approaches or attitudes that you've shifted over the last decade?
1: Um, well, when I first started off, I, I was quite introverted. And it's not to say that it's good or bad or anything like that. But uh, one of the big things that I had to learn was how to create the energy that I wanted my clients to have. And that meant doing a lot of things that you know I wouldn't have even thought of doing or would have been like completely aghast to doing even two to three years prior just due to the fact that that wasn't who I was. But sometimes you got to kind of create a presence, uh, create a stage for yourself to actually express stuff in order to do what you want to actually do. So it's not something where I would say like I've always been poised or proper or anything like that. Like I screw up on words all the time and have a mild stutter once in a while when I start getting a little bit too rapid. But um, My brain's operating too fast. Yeah, sometimes like... You, you, you so, you sometimes I do sound, it too. You, have yeah. you ever
0: sounded like our prime minister when you talk publicly?
1: Well, to his credit, like English is actually his second language. So sometimes he's searching for the words. So I'm not going to say like I say uh, as much as he does. But at the same time, like you got to think how much pressure that guy's on and how meticulously scrutinized every single word or syllable that he says actually is. Who is
2: polished professional? Yeah. But (laughs) (laughs) But
1: the thing is, like, you might not agree with somebody 100 percent. You might not agree with anybody 1 percent. But, I mean, everybody who is in a position like that, they're under so much pressure. I can't even imagine. I wouldn't want to go into public life for that reason. Um, just due to the fact that everything you say is constantly criticized. You make a small joke and now all well, of a sudden everyone wants to th- lynch you.
2: To speak of that, you're not necessarily um, immune to that. No. Um, you've <laughs> There's a few Facebook posts where someone just loses it on you. And one oh, of yeah. it was on coffee. I think one of it was on the unicorn coffee. Yeah. Yeah, like, what, explain that one, because that was good. I I don't even remember that one. What was it? Yeah, it was the 600 calorie, was it the unicorn?
1: unicorn. Oh, the unicorn frappuccino. Yeah, and you made
2: a complete, complete joke, and because your position of influence, someone was like, you're a horrible person. Maybe people just need to enjoy their sugar once in a while and just lit you up.
1: Yeah, I I put up a post because the unicorn frappuccino from Starbucks was coming out. (laughs) And I literally just put up the nutrition information from their website <laughs> and said, hey, if anyone's thinking of this, here's the nutrition information. If you want to have a, a vial of insulin to go with it, that would probably help out. And people are starting to say that I'm diabetes shaming and <laughs> yeah, that, like they're I'm they're a terrible eyes. human being. And I'm like, okay, well, yeah, sure, go for it. You were making fun people with diabetes. Yeah, I was, was making fun way. of people with diabetes. Insensitive. And very <laughs> insensitive. One woman showed a picture of her kid who was in the hospital because of type 1 diabetes. Yeah. I was like... Then probably don't drink a unicorn frappuccino. <laughs> You've oh. also started an argument about sumo and conventional recently. Oh, I didn't start it. I, I just <laughs> I, I pushed it towards that way. Yeah.
2: <laughs> Dean's very. Uh, While well, well, your old wife lifts sumo, oh yeah, said and the, the half of my marker. clients
1: lift sumo because it's appropriate for them.
2: <laughs> if you if, if, if you follow anyone in the circle of that realm of fitness people i guess you can always see when dean chimes in because it'll just be a meme passive aggressive usually usually a gif because the GIF, gifs are fantastic a gif or a meme and then everyone knows what he means but no one knows what he means and he just like he inserts it and then leaves and never says another word Just drive by it's like a, so he's kind of found his way about around being poised professional polite and positive yes it's called gifs and memes
0: <laughs> so- now, going back to the the second part of the question, is there anything like really critical about how you approach stuff, or just philosophies you've had that have changed a lot over time, they, where you've gone back and said, you know what, I, I really walked away from this line of thinking, or I was dead wrong about this?
1: Um, yeah, probably a whole bunch. I can't think of any off the, the top of my head, but never um, wrong. Well, no, I, I'm <laughs> always wrong. That that's a great thing about being wrong is if you change your mind, you're right again.
2: Yeah, that's fair.
1: So. There's a lot of things that, like, I'm wrong more than I'm right, so I'll change my mind on a lot of things. I don't think there's been anything that I've really dug my heels in and said, this is the way this is and I have to keep it that way. And then, oh, no, no, now I do something different. I mean, when I first started training clients, I'd use unstable surfaces, which we all did. If you were training in the early 2000s, we all did, right? And it's not something to say, oh, well, this is good or bad or how did you know Nobody really knew any better because that was the information that was being put out. It's like, here is the way to train everything. And it's like, okay, well, let's try it. And you start realizing that, you know, people aren't really getting any kind of a result from this. What if I changed it and did something like this? Oh, wow. Okay. people are getting results. It's an evolutionary process. Um, One thing that I've kind of shied away is I don't really worry about VO2 max as a measurement of aerobic (laughs) fitness anymore because it's kind of superfluous to what a lot of people are actually looking for. For a lot of athletes, they're worried more about what their time is. What their speed is or what their peak performance is at threshold or anything like that so vo2 max isn't really all that beneficial compared to something like a work capacity or work output Um, for a lot of people vo2 max you look at it and it's like okay that's a cool number how fast do you run at vo2 max so why do we care about vo2 max why don't we just say how fast do you run so it's one of those kind of measures i think has been considered the gold standard from a clinical perspective but is absolutely useless for an end user at the end of the day when they're trying to look at things like how fast do I run on the treadmill? How do I bike or what is my time supposed to be for a 5k or anything like that? So moving away from VO2 max as a measurement has been pretty big.
2: And just speaking on like we talked about like uneven surfaces, where are we at now with what's being put out in terms of like relevancy and I'm not gonna say infallible, but how close are we to like finding something that's not going to change for a long time. Does that make
1: sense? Heavy strength training has still been a consistent prover of results. Um, you can use heavy relative to the individual. You can use heavy as an absolute number, but uh, when you have somebody who loads their body in a way that's greater than homeostasis, they're going to see positive adaptation as long as it's under their threshold of injury, which for a lot of people might be 60%. You know, If they're able to say that I was working at a 6 out of 10 RPE, great, that might be heavy lifting for that individual. Others might be nine or 10 or even 11 out of RPE. We're gonna crank that knob right to 11, like spinal tap. But um, everyone is gonna be a little bit different. And when you start pushing the body beyond that normal homeostasis level into some sort of positive adaptation, you're gonna have bone remodeling in a positive direction. For anyone who's osteoporotic or osteopenic, yes, heavy loading is gonna be very valuable for people that are going through any kind of bone wasting. Uh, Menopausal clients, uh, pelvic floor rehab kind of clients, Musculotendinous injury clients, anybody who's going through metabolic syndrome type issues, heavier loading is going to be beneficial just due to the fact that it does work on all the, the body's tissues rather than just doing one or two small things. Now, obviously, it has to be something where it's tolerable to the individual, and some people have to train up for it with very basic, easy body weight or even regress body weight stuff, but they're still loading beyond homeostasis. That's kind of the key feature.
2: Cool. <laughs>
1: freaking smart guy once in a while I do some smart things um I'm gonna I got pull nothing to say. Yeah,
0: nothing. you know what you're right <laughs> we're, we're, we're getting to certain standards Actually, I do have one more question yeah. is there anything currently popular right now as a trend that you maybe there's not strong evidence of it but you have very very strong inclination that it's probably something that's gonna fade that isn't gonna be well supported as it's tested more
1: I don't know I think that a lot of stuff is kind of finding a level when it comes to training programs. I think that using fixed machines backwards is kind of—it's <laughs> kind of odd. I have no idea why people do this kind of stuff. It's like, why would you use? This? No one's studying that. Yeah, it's like, oh, this is a better machine for this kind of. Why don't you just turn around and do it the right way? Uh, it's like, the funny thing is when you see people backwards in the, the hip abduction adduction <laughs> machine, it's like, why don't you just turn around and do it the other way? It's like, is this a better way of activating muscle? No, just have a seat. You and gotta be more positive, up. man. What a, what about- well, I was
2: going to say the opposite end of that. So what are you finding that's not necessarily supported or kind of being researched that you think should or should be a gold standard? Does that make sense? So something that people aren't necessarily backing up with the research, but that you know to be true-ish.
1: And there's not too much that I know to be true. I'll, <laughs> I'll be honest with that. Like, that, you, that you
0: use. that you, I already told you I'm wrong about a lot of things. Way, that, that, okay, what are you that's use? The way, that's the way people like Gary Tobes talk. In a, they, in a, they know things to be
2: true. that They have know the that you them. use that may not be backed up by science just yet.
1: I don't know if I use a lot of stuff that's not backed up by science because the cool thing about science is you can kind of twist it however you want. If there needs no, more backing up from science, if there's no double blinded study, you can probably twist it a little ways to to find the end result that you. There's not
2: be. enough research on, but has positive. He's just he's a dog. dean's Guido is a well. No, is, is, there, is there like and the reason why? Because even. Oh, fuck. I don't say we got an argument on Patrick Humphreysing, but there's a lot of stuff that's discussed where there's research on both ends, yeah. and there could be people that are for and against. Is there anything like that that you think that they're, they're, people may be a little wrong?
1: There's a lot. I mean, <laughs> Pick your favorite. Pick yeah. your favorite. I mean, when people start saying what an appreciable depth is in squats, okay, there we go. Like, who cares? I mean, obviously, when you go into a powerlifting meet, there's a standard for a powerlifting meet. If Gladys from accounting is doing a squat and she's a little bit high, freaking who cares, right? She's going to go home to her three cats and tell them about her squat day and feed them some fancy feast. It's going to be a good day. She might get three red lights, but again, I don't think that she really gives a damn. The, the other end of the spectrum is when people do give absolutes as far as what you should be able to do with your anatomy. Yeah. It's like if you don't squat to the floor, you're a terrible human being and you have herpes, right? It's not... No, but it, if you can squat to the floor, great. You can squat to the floor. I can't do the uh, back bridge without my spine exploding. And if you ever find me with my feet over my head, call nine one one because something went terribly wrong.
0: But, at least, at least you can drink urine to cure that. Okay. No. Or so, so it's being said around the city. I'm just yeah, gonna, I, no. guys. Don't drink your own urine, please.
1: If you're going to do that, you might as well go whole hog and eat the stuff that comes out the other end too, right? Because, I mean, it's the same stuff. It's a waste excrement, so you might as well go for it. Just don't
2: eat for the whole day.
1: Yeah, just don't eat for the whole day and then drink your own pee and eat whatever else you have to do. And then transplant somebody else's poop into you because that's something. I also don't understand what the fascination is with shoving stuff into your body that shouldn't be there. Like, like, why are you putting someone else's poop into your body? And why are you putting a jade egg in when, your whatever? When I
2: worked, when I was teaching at Center High, we were doing the, the EMS firefighting police course. And we'd have people come in to, from the medical profession. Yeah. And they have, I'm not going to quote this because there may be a place where they have a, a, a hall of fame of things that are in people's... Yeah. Rectums. rectums. <laughs> yeah. It's quite interesting. Toy cars what, and... Yeah, like, um, seriously, um, stop shoving the, stuff in there. The pokey stick for the fireplace. Oh man, because oh. that's got a hook on it too. Doesn't yeah, it? that's Magic. a big hook. Holy, wow.
0: Well, that's how they ended up in the hospital. Oh my god. A, a, a
2: railing. <laughs> what? Like part of a like a end of a, a railing. Like you know, for the staircase, like, I think, like there, there's like, there pretty All much think, think of th-
1: anything. Like, there's been things in people's butts. All I'm thinking of is on uh, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, where he takes the chainsaw and he's like, "I fixed the newel post." Yep. <laughs> Very. what How do we get to this? We went was off you. topic. You from, did that. Is there any? Is there anything else
2: you'd like to address?
1: Not yeah, the, I'd like to address how we went from squat depth to shoving stuff up your ass. Like well, ask, the hell uh, uh, there? squat
2: depth, <laughs> ass the grass, things in ass. Oh, okay. There's
1: there like some, a, a there, Sheldon Cooper level of logic around there. Well, there are some fitness professionals that I didn't gonna, even go there. In our
0: world, you everything did. is about their butts. Like, <laughs> yeah. like, well, John Romanello loves talk about butts all the time,
1: but there's, there's more yeah. than just him. Well, quite a few people enjoy talking about sex online. Cool. Go for it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we're way off track here. So, Dean, you have a question.
2: I have a question. It actually relates to, weirdly enough, we wrote this script before you released the article, but you released the article called oft overlooked elements to success and personal training. And there's some good pieces of advice, I'd say. But what's kind of what's your main piece to trainers that are kind of navigating their early careers? And if, if you want to just find out the long answer, just go read his article that's out on his blog. But kind of what's your main one? Because there's four, but what's your main one?
1: Uh, the big one is listen to your clients and give them what they're looking for. I mean, we could always dictate what we want our clients to actually do. But A lot of the time, it's not going to work out that way. So, I mean, if I've got a young power lifter who wants to deadlift their face off, cool. We can deadlift all day long. That doesn't mean that every single client I have is going to qualify to do deadlifts or would even want to do deadlifts. I mean, I've got some clients where they want to go for a walk and not hurt everything. So, okay, well, let's get you to at least do some mobility drills. Let's get you to work on some core bracing. Let's get you to talk about your cats for a little while and tell me about your grandkids because they want to have it as a social outing as much as it is a training session. So that's what they're looking for. That would be
2: number two. Develop your listening skills and learn to flex your style. Yeah. So that's basically learning to flex your style. Yeah. There was one good story in there about um the oil rig guys. Are those real guys? Yeah. I won't. It's tell Edmonton. You. We have oil <laughs> rig all around. But all oil rig guys like the deadlift heavy, is what you're saying.
1: Well, no, these guys do. <laughs> There's a lot of oil rig guys who don't like to work out and more power to them. They want to do different things on the weekend. H- than-
2: How'd they find you? Were they like, he's the hip and shoulder guy. We need to go to him. To no, they've been members gym.
1: of the gym for a long, long time and have been training him for a while. And
2: they saw you. They're like, yeah. he has a tattoo on his arm. He's he's my guy. And he's big. <laughs> no, I
1: was just showing people how to deadlift and they wanted to learn. That was it. <laughs> Little did
2: they know they stumbled upon one of the
1: world's real re- leading hip guys. It's a pretty small field. Did you hip scour them? Oh yeah, because <laughs> that's kind of the, the what I do. Just is making trying to sure, out. yeah.
2: Just making sure you're doing your due diligence. Yeah. Okay, advice to potential clients. So people are going in the gyms; they're searching for the right person to kind of again listen to their goals and take them to that next level. What advice would you have to them to find that right person
1: for clients looking to yeah. find a trainer? Yeah. Um, first, do your research. I mean, it's really easy to do a Google search and find a lot of a digital footprint of an individual. Um, If the trainer's been doing their diligence properly, the top things that should come up on a Google search would be um, their website. If they have a website, if you don't have a website, get a website because you can do it for free. Uh, And then their social media channels. So things like Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, those are going to be things that come up. Uh, Twitter. Yeah. you're looking right now. YouTube. Yeah. So if you have uh, a social media footprint, that's going to come up. And if you have a private social media uh, account it's going to be difficult for the person to learn about you but that might not be a bad thing if all you're posting is drunk selfies or uh, religious or political rants all the time what you want to have on your digital footprint is your best foot forward essentially so give articles or information about what could help your clients and i can't tell you the number of times i've had clients say i read your article on this or i follow you and i want to come train with you so by having that there it's your built-in business card So for a trainer, they should have all that stuff in place already. If not, then fix it up and make it actually work. Um, So for the clients, do your research and learn a little bit more about the person you want to work with. Watch them in the gym for a little while too. Creep them? Yeah, creep them. Uh, A lot of people will watch a trainer and how they interact with their client and make a decision of, this trainer is paying attention to their client. I want to actually work with them. Or this trainer is more interested in everything else that's going on in the gym. I don't want to work with them. Depending on where you uh, work, if you're in a private studio or in a commercial facility, it could be a little bit dicey. I mean, obviously, commercial facility, you can creep on trainers a little bit easier that way. Private studio, you kind of have to book an appointment. But the other aspect is just book an appointment with them and see, do you actually gel with that person? Are they fun to be around? Are they somebody that you want to spend time with? And do you think that they actually know what they're talking about? I mean, obviously it's a big difference between somebody who can recite gluconeogenesis stages all the way through from start to finish, or or is it somebody who is smart enough to be able to say, hey, I know how to get you the results you're looking for without bombarding you with a lot of information that you probably don't need, or is it somebody who's going to actually take the time to teach you? If it's somebody who's just giving you workouts, cool, you can get that online. If it's somebody who's nice to work with and fun to be around, even better. But as somebody who's going to actually teach you about the why and the how of what they're doing, that's going to be kind of the best situation for a trainer.
2: And that goes back to even, if we refer back to the article, um, teach, don't instruct. Yeah. Can you explain that a little
1: bit? Yeah. Uh, well, the the example I used in the article was when I was in first year university, I was just a warm body in a seat in a lecture theater where there was like 200 or 300 other first year students and one professor. You can't really... Teach in a situation like that all you can do is deliver a lesson plan and that doesn't mean that it's ineffective or anything like that because you can obviously learn as a student but if you're in a one on one situation with somebody and you're able to ask questions back and forth and have more collaborative learning that's obviously the best scenario possible so think of it sort of like uh, if you're a mentor to a mentee. You want to do that in kind of like a one-on-one type scenario. So all of your clients as a trainer, they're your mentees. You're their mentor. You want to try to impart Padawans. knowledge. Yeah, Padawans to the the young Jedi. So you want to make sure that you're able to impart knowledge to them the best way possible, but also get them interested in the process. They're not just there for course credit. They're there to do something to better themselves one way or another. So give them the information that they can use, but then also get them excited about it some way.
2: Well, and the one thing, um oh, fuck, where was I going with this? Um,
1: I do not remember. <laughs>
2: it was something to do with Padawans know. and teaching.
1: Did you see the new movie yet?
2: No. I've, I've been so busy. Fuck. I haven't. Is already, it, have so. you?
1: Yeah. We saw it on uh, last week. Was it good? I actually enjoyed it. I mean, if you're going into a Star Wars <laughs> movie looking for like canonical type storytelling, you're probably in the wrong place. I'm, but <laughs> at the same time, it's fun. It's entertaining. It's cool to watch and really neat twists on things. Uh, I, I will give a little bit of a spoiler. I think they kind of underdeveloped Snoke's character.
0: But was there any? Well, I don't want to know. I saw a meme, and again, I haven't seen it, so hopefully it's not much of a spoiler because it doesn't tell me anything. How, uh, what's his name, Mark Hamill, who is largely outside of his Joker voicing, has been pretty irrelevant for about 30 years. He's whining about how he didn't like what they did with his character. And something to do with the fact that he went away and hid away. And it's like, oh, Jedi wouldn't do that. But then there's the meme, well, Obi-Wan Kenobi went and hid in the desert, changed his name. But they missed after, the whole, there's a whole bunch of Vatican novels Richard. about how he basically fucking lit up everything. And then oh, what the happening? So they missed that yeah. whole part. Or Yoda, when he didn't figure out that Palpatine was actually the Sith, he just hid in a swamp swamp planet and hid away too. So it's yeah. kind of a Jedi thing apparently. They, they, just, yeah. they, they fuck shit up and then they just go out and hide.
1: Yeah, it's like they're all awesome and everything and then one thing goes wrong and they get depressed and start going off into the woods on their own and living the, the nomadic life.
2: I just got sick of it. Yeah. Um, I remember what I was going to say, Mark Fisher alluded to speak to the people in the language that they're listening to. Yeah. So that's exactly. So that's what a main piece of advice. So again, teach, yeah. do instruct.
1: And you can always expand their vocabulary as long as you, you tell them what the terms are and why they're yeah. doing it. And then here's why it's important. Here's what we're working on. But that comes down to teaching, right? Yeah. It just makes sure that the, the people are learning as they go forward.
2: Well, and I always boiled it down. Like I'll tell people the first session is that we're going to create a language Obviously, I have to teach that to you. But people aren't going to come into you and know your cues. Like, they have to learn how to learn in your system. And again, I guess that comes down to teaching. So, again, don't don't just think there's one way to do it. Because if Sally or what was it, Gladys?
1: Yeah, she's a character.
2: Gladys may not understand that, you know, turning your lats on doesn't fucking work for her. So, she's going to squeeze her clutch under her armpits or whatever. Or ask her, hey, turn this on. What does that feel like? She may give you the answer. And then you could use it. Yeah, and you
1: could use internal versus external cueing. Um, you could use intrinsic motivation, extrinsic motivation, however you want to use it. But as long as it's something where that client is able to say, okay, I get it now.
2: Yeah. And that's one of the main points I think that a lot of people miss, especially young trainers, cause they'll come out and, and I'm just saying this cause you taught CanFit Pro as well. Yeah. For a couple of years. Yeah. So you get people that again, go through that course. and It's a very small portion of what they need to learn. Like they mm-hmm. take it as the book. Yeah. And there's so much more after that. That's a starting point. So just be open to problem solving, I guess.
0: Yeah. There's a lot more to coaching than the Borg scale. In fact, the Borg yeah. scale doesn't tell you much. Well,
2: you've got to keep your feet straight and your shoulder width apart.
0: Yeah.
2: And don't worry about, yeah. um Okay, go.
0: <laughs> okay, well, I'll read your question then. Is that what you want me to do? I have a question. Yeah, because I'm <laughs> skipping mine. We already hit it.
2: Oh yeah. So yeah, what we do is we just cross out each other's questions. Just skip yeah. on. What's your greatest? Inf- so we talked about this last time. Like one of your greatest influences, and you talked about your dad, and he taught you talk- your mechanics and all that. Mm-hmm. Who's your greatest fitness influence in the industry. in the industry? In the industry. <laughs> yeah. Okay. In the in in the industry. <laughs> Not your dad. The
1: in the fitness industry. I think that you should put more emphasis on the dust and the industry. 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 Just because that's the one that you haven't put emphasis on yet. Guido's still rattled about Gilmore Girls, so.
2: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I'm rattled. We're doing two of these in a row. This is hard. Who's your greatest influence in the industry? Industry.
1: (laughs) Uh, Honestly, I could take influence from a lot of people. The person. There's not really... (laughs) Say all your people. Say all your people. You got time. Well, I mean... the. Going back in time, like to the point where there wasn't really social media, there was a lot of people who were um, putting out publications and stuff like the NSCA Journal. So uh, guys like Juan Carlos Santana, who's still active. Uh, also, Mike Boyle, um, Mike Verstegen, or Mark Verstegen, he was the founder of Core Performance. And I, I've read his book a, a whole bunch, and that changed my thought process on how things were going. Guys like Robbie Williams. Uh, the guy who's saying Millennium used to be a British pop singer? No. No. The bodybuilder. Okay. Uh, Dorian Yates, back in the day when I was reading like Flex Magazine and uh, Muscle Mag. um, Then you can get into the current new school kind of guys, new school-ish, like Tony Genocore, Eric Cressy, Pete Dupuy, uh, Mark Fisher. uh, People who I've worked with in clinical settings who don't have a social media population like Mark Lucius, Mary Wood, um, Don Payne. Whole bunch of people who have been able to kind of pick their brains and uh, look over their shoulder while they were working and ask questions. So there's, I get information and experience and uh, inspiration from pretty much everyone I come into contact with. And you two guys are no exception on that. Yeah. Look at what you guys are doing here. Yeah, you, you should, should learn, learn how to do a podcast, man. I should you release to, one every week. I should <laughs> learn how to actually stay consistent with it. That's kind of the main thing.
0: That was the one thing. It was... um. We get Lindsay to... Uh, in, guys, if you're hearing this one, hopefully by now you actually heard Lindsay's episode, which we <laughs> should, if we did according to plan, yeah. have released it first. So it's great. She's amazing. She talks about all kinds of cool stuff, but we should get Lindsay to schedule your uh, guests. and lot up people. That then- would be nice. Well, yeah. The one, yeah. the one thing was, it was Mike I was just
2: looking for <laughs> reference. It was the Mike Robinson podcast that like kind of turned me on to that. Cause he actually stopped for a while mm-hmm. and he's like, I lost a bunch of following, and it's just, I had to be consistent. So you just have to make
0: time for it. Yeah. Robinson's could- amazing. I, I love Rob. I got to meet him in, uh, in Renton just outside of Seattle. And yeah. he's just such a cool, nice guy.
1: Yeah, there's so many people that I've got connections with over social media or email, or people who I've had Skypes with back and forth. Mike's one of them, but never met them in person yet. So hopefully, Mike and I will connect one of these days. Well,
0: I remember when I met John Rusin, Doctor John Rusin. He uh, he presented, and I found a lot of what he presented very, very similar to what you had said. Mm-hmm. So I had this conversation with him, and he took that as a gigantic compliment. He was very, oh, cool. very happy to hear mm-hmm. that you know, I had compared the two of you. So he took that as a very big compliment. Well,
1: the anatomy is the same. I mean, it's not like he's discovered new muscles or bones or anything like that, or that I've discovered them. It's like, yeah, you present the anatomy and here's what it is. Cool, do it.
2: Well, and and just to kind of touch base on like influence and people you're learning from, what are you doing right now to progress your learning? Because we would would all agree that you're at a fairly, Lindsay, you see, now she's ruining it. Lindsay, you just ruined the question. Okay, what, was okay what I was going to say is you've tied into influences and we can agree that you're kind of at a certain level in your education. How is someone like you continuing to learn or, or like what what conferences are you going or what who are you listening to learn something from?
1: Um, well, part of it comes down to what are my clients looking for. So if I've got clients that are coming in for things like pelvic floor issues, then I'm going to start looking more into pelvic floor type stuff. Uh, Dr. Sarah Duvall is fantastic for that kind of work. Looking into more powerlifting type stuff. Obviously, guys with like starting strength, elite FTS, um, uh, juggernaut training systems, they're fantastic to work with on that. Anybody with shoulder stuff, Eric Cressy's the boss when it comes to anything along that line. Um, so, a lot of it comes down to like, what are my clients dealing with? Any spinal stuff, Stu McGill. He's somebody who I actually consider a friend. So, that's always cool to be able to talk about. Um, but yeah, a lot of it comes back to what are my clients looking for and where can I get more information from? to be able to help them out more in one way or another. And a lot of the time it's just searching out the people who know the most about what they're doing. So you do the same shit that we're all doing. Yeah. <laughs> what just, the hell just man? Just on another level. I
2: thought you just knew everything.
1: Well, when you do things for a long enough time, you learn more. Yeah. It doesn't mean you learn everything. It just means that comparing myself who's been doing this for like 20 years between all the education I've had in training clients to somebody who's maybe a year or two in the industry. Yeah, I know more than them because I've got that 20 years of experience. But comparing me to somebody who's got 40 years of experience, no, they know way more than I do. So I got to catch up to them.
2: Who, who's, your, who's your main person? So who do you Facebook message or text the most when you can't figure something out? Like n- not just for specific, who's kind of the most popular go-to? I,
1: I don't know. Like n- most of the time when I'm looking to learn something, I'll go to like source material. First. And then once in a while, I'll like shoot the breeze with somebody about a specific problem. But uh, it's never really like one person who's my go-to for everything. Like I said, a lot of people, it's more like, here's a, a shoulder problem. Okay, I'll go to Eric Cressy. Here's a low back problem. I'll go to Stu McGill. Here's uh, a, a hip problem. Maybe I'll fi- find something by Shirley Saruman. Reread right? my own articles. No, oh, no. I mean, <laughs> hey, I had to get the information from somewhere, right? Absolutely. So I'll go through the people whose information put it out best. All right. Well, um, if anyone is looking to find No, you, ask a- them
2: the book question.
0: I didn't write the book question. What, okay. I, Dean, Have you read? I, no, what, what
1: are you reading right now that has, that is influencing you currently in a book format? Uh, Chip and Dan Heath have a book called Moments. Just finished it. Just Fantastic. finished it. Yeah. So I'm looking at using that to kind of update what I do to create meaningful elements with my clients and, uh, try and actually develop, you know, how they were talking about the popsicle hotline. Yeah. So what kind of things can I do with my clients like that?
2: What's the popsicle hotline for yeah, I anyone mean, in the book. book? You read oh. the book. Okay.
0: Yeah. Guys, <laughs> if you're in the industry, you should read this book. It's actually not very long. It is fantastic.
1: Yeah. And uh, they they do a, a really great job of talking about like the different processes to creating meaningful moments. And looking at that, it's more like, okay, well, how can I reverse engineer that to actually do something similar with my clients to have more of a buy-in as far as you know, not just the the training elements itself but the experience of training, how can I create a community or a culture within the training environment that I'm in? So what kind of stuff can I do to help people say, I want to be a part of that
0: The thing that struck me is when the family lost the giraffe, the stuffed giraffe for the little boy and he was all stressed out, and couldn't sleep. Mm-hmm. So his dad told him, Oh, uh, I don't know, it was Joshy, I think his name was Joshy's. just, uh, you know, take a couple days vacation. So call the hotel. Luckily they found it. Yeah. So he said, Hey, could you just like take a photo of him, lounging by the pool? And just so that way our little boy like sees that there's something to this, right? So what some employee who probably got paid next to nothing mm-hmm. not only did that but took Joshi throughout the resort for a couple of hours and took tons of photos of like someone on a vacation. Yeah. And then Joshi arrived mm-hmm. in the mail a couple of days later with this little photo album of all this cool fun shit that this little stuffed giraffe yeah. had. And of course the little boy was blown away. The parents are like, holy shit. So that experience was cemented forever in their lives. Mm-hmm. They love that hotel. That's what they're thinking about, not the fact that the plumbing didn't work or whatever might yeah. have else gone wrong. So if you do like magical little things that go way above and beyond for your clientele, mm-hmm. uh, you can really <laughs> set yourself apart in this industry. Yeah. So book sensational. What's yeah. your
2: magical thing you do? All right, you, both of you. I'm <laughs> asking questions. What's your magical go-to, Dean? Okay.
1: Um, the championship belt if you are. You, don't, you know, okay that's fair yeah I mean how many people can say that they get to hold a, a WWE World Heavyweight Championship belt and get a picture taken when so, they do a PR in the gym so I mean, do it's you bring it to some, work I, I'm actually contemplating bringing it to work is that why there's a second one in the works there might be yeah <laughs> that,
2: that makes, makes sense. sense yeah um, and the Popsicle
0: Hotline. Is that when they sold Popsicles in Hell? No, you have to read oh, the book. Fuck. You have, everybody has to read the book. Yeah, That's it. Okay, guys. Uh, we have another podcast lined up in 10 minutes, so we're going to wrap this up. Get out of here. You're all... not important. <laughs> <laughs> we're and, done uh, with you. Get yeah. out in the cold. No, actually, Dean's been amazing. We'll have him back, so it's, it'll be a bit of a running joke. He'll appear in every episode in, in spirit. So uh, really quickly, where, where do people find you online if they don't already know how to
1: find you? Uh, deansomerset.com, Instagram, dsomerset one. Uh, Twitter, Dean Somerset, Facebook, Dean Somerset. I'm incredibly boring like that. I just, just name Google stuff em. after me. Just Google. Just em.
0: Google me. Yeah. <laughs> Cause you Google me, you get a whole bunch of different people. There's one Dean Somerset. So it's much easier. Yeah.
1: But actually there's a town in England called Dean in the County of Somerset. Yeah. So if you Google Dean Somerset, you'll get like farm real estate listings in England as well as me. I don't think people will get too confused. I hope <laughs>
0: if, if you are, there's bigger problems in your life. Yeah. All right, guys, thanks for tuning in again. We really appreciate it. Uh, Give us some shares, love, on social media. We could really benefit from five-star reviews. Those help us a ton. And then uh, next week, we should bring you another awesome guest. Cool. Thanks. See ya.
1: Shut up and sit down.